Hello and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. We are on location again this week, back in Indianapolis, this time for the NCAA convention after being here for the national title game a week ago. However, we're going to stick to on the field stuff. We may get to some off the field stuff after the convention's over, maybe next week or the week after that. There'll be plenty of time in the offseason to dig into the off field changes coming to college football and college sports in general. For this week, we're going to stick with on the field stuff. Before we totally turn the page on 2021, we're going to do one last season review, but with an eye toward 2022. Joining us today on the podcast is Brandon Marcello, National College Football Writer at 24-7 Sports. Brandon and I are going to take a look at the more than a dozen teams that started the 2021 season unranked and finished it ranked. They include Michigan, Baylor, Oklahoma State, Michigan State. We'll try to get a feel for what kind of follow-ups the surprise teams of 2021 can expect in 2022. Also, Brandon and I look back at some of our predictions for the season and see where we were right or very wrong or were right and still wrong. Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us at appodcast.com, where you can also find my colleague Rob Motti's NFL podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere you like to get your pods. If you like what you hear, please take a minute to give us a good review and rating. It helps more college football fans find us, and it helps us find more college football fans. If you'd like to email the show, we are going to start soliciting emails again, especially during the offseason where we have more time to get to emails, not quite as much news. And we love your contributions to the show. Sometimes we can take one email and turn it into an entire show. I'm encouraging you, please feel free to hit us up with emails, comments, questions, and we'll dig into them. Hopefully we will get enough so that we can hit maybe an email or two an episode, or we can let them build up and build an entire episode around answering listener email. If you'd like to email the show, send questions and comments to aptop25mailbag at gmail.com. That's aptop25mailbag, the digits 25 at gmail.com. And away we go. Joining me this week on the podcast, first time on the podcast for Brendan Marcello, the great national college football writer for 24-7 Sports. Brendan, thanks so much for joining me here and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I, I feel very official now. I should, um, I need to follow my AP style and say that this is my first time, but I'm sure that I will be here more than one time. <laughs> if not over two times. We will definitely get you into the rotation here. Uh, Brandon and I, uh, even though uh, we uh, we haven't necessarily worked together, but we share a similar path. We both took Mississippi to bigger, you know, as part of our career path. Uh, I, I was there in the early 2000s when Eli Manning was playing at Ole Miss and, and covering Mid- Ole Miss and State for the AP. Brandon was there a couple of years later. And he walked in to one of the biggest stories in college football, really, in the last 30 or 40 years, uh, um, covering Mississippi State the year the year Cam Newton broke out at Auburn. And the whole how did Cam get to Auburn story was in the news. And that sort of fell into your lap. Right, Brandon? Yeah, it was bad. Uh, my first official day was the day that Mississippi State played Auburn on a Thursday night and uh, the beat writer who was leaving at the time told me, Hey, by the way, I've been working on this story for the last several months. And I, I was blown away. And of course, Cam Newton blew up at that point, And uh, the rest is history. I uh, got scooped all, all year and uh, was working and trying to keep my head above water, but it was a very interesting experience and helped prepare me. I think. Hey, the, the, the bumps and bruises you take in those types of situations can, uh, can make you a better reporter. Um, and the uh, and the stories that land on you on your beat, which you can't control, are often the things that lead to you progressing in your career, right? I mean, like you can't control how your beat is going to play out. You can control 
how you try to keep up and, and, and cover the beat. And when those big stories break on your beat, it helps a lot. It helps a lot in, in sort of raising your profile. I had one of those when I was in Mississippi, simply Eli being in Mississippi raised the profile. And then Sylvester Croom becoming the first you know, black head football coach in the SEC on my watch was a big deal. And being able to sort of, you know, be out front in that story and cover that story, it helps a lot for young journalists. So I know like that sounds like a, a just a nightmarish situation for Brandon right there. But if you find yourself in that situation, young journalists, understand that it will make you better. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and that's the thing. You, you just try to keep your head above water. And if you realize, you know, not everybody listening to this cares about what we go through as reporters. But if you realize that, hey, maybe... I can't do what these other reporters are doing much more seasoned than me. Try to like circle around and find a different angle to do things. And uh, you'll get some very, I mean, there's, there's so many morsels out there when you run into a big story that you'll, you'll end up doing something really good. All right. So we're going to dive into the sort of the last, put a bow on the 2021 season. That was the whole point of bringing Brandon on it. We're going to put a bow on the 21 season, but also by looking a little ahead to 2022. Um, we ended up with a national championship game that was not a surprise at all <laughs> in Alabama and Georgia. They were the two most dominant teams all year and Georgia wins the national championship. Um, but the rest of college football was kind of turned on its head this year. And it was really fun. It was a fun season, even though it ended somewhat expectedly. And the result of that, all that fun and excitement was 14 teams that were ranked, that were unranked, excuse me, in the preseason poll for the AP finished the season ranked. That's a little more than usual. Usually you get about 10, maybe 11. Uh, and what made it even more unusual is four of the top 10 teams, final top 10 teams ended up, uh, four of the final top 10 teams were unranked to start the season. So we're going to kind of go through some of those teams, but with an eye towards next year and how those teams might be able to follow up their breakout seasons. And, and the four I want to start with are the four most prominent, and that is Baylor, Michigan, Michigan State, Oklahoma State, all finished in the top 10, all were unranked to start the season. And other than maybe Oklahoma State, none of those teams were really even expected. Like Oklahoma State was sort of on the on the verge of getting ranked. So we kind of thought, okay, they might be pretty good. I mean, Michigan, Baylor, Michigan State won a combined six games in, in 2020. So they were a big deal. But out of those four, which one do you think has the best chance to have a big follow-up in 2021? You know, I think it's Baylor. I love the way that, uh, that that program has been built. And I think the biggest change, the improvement that's going to pay dividends for them in 2022 was adding Jeff Grimes as OC a year ago from BYU. I think he was a huge addition. That offense showed a spark. They improved with the power running game and also in 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 the passing game. And they weren't necessarily explosive and or consistent. And part of that was because of the quarterback issues we had because of injuries with Gary Brohannon. But it did enough. It improved enough to kind of get them over the hump and have a historic year and win a Big 12 title. And I think they're going to take another step forward offensively. I think that defense will be comparable this upcoming season as it was in 2021. And I think they're the best built team among those four to repeat as a top 10 program this time uh, next year. And that's difficult for a program like Baylor to repeat success and then not only repeat success, but, you know, make your own history uh, after an historic year already. But I love the way they're built. Obviously, I love the way they're, they're coached. But I, I think the the big thing we'll probably be talking about with Baylor if they're successful next season is, wow, the Jeff Grimes offense is really starting to click a little bit here and has really been able to carry them in a lot of games. And uh, that that that's a program next season we might be talking about that could be a, a dark horse for the playoff. Yeah, it's a matter of growing and progressing at the quarterback position with Gary Bohannon or uh, Blake Shapin, who came in and played tremendous in the Big 12 championship game. Uh, wherever they go a quarterback, they need improve, uh, improved play there. The other thing that makes Baylor interesting to me is if you just look at the rest of the Big 12. Right. We, we're not really sure what exactly is going on in Oklahoma. They will have players at Oklahoma and they will be good players. But exactly which who those players will be is a little uncertain right now because there's been so much transition, transition at coach. 
You have the perpetual transition at Texas and who knows what that will be. The Big 12 is always the conference that I think is most has the most upward mobility, but also the biggest chance for a lot of those middle tier teams to just wash out. <laughs> um, but I think that plays the Baylor's hands uh, when there's some uncertainty with those powerful teams at the very top. So I want to stay in the Big 12 because Oklahoma State was the other team, finished number seven, that was a, a, a surprise. Again, a, a surprise that they finished that high. And we talk so much about coming into this season about super seniors and how all that experience coming back into major college football, how is that going to affect this season? And I don't even know if I did a good enough job of myself of pointing it out throughout the season. We talked about it a lot before the season. I'm not sure how much I did a good job of like going back to that issue. But Oklahoma State was one of those teams that just came in with a mountain of experience and they were playing with men. And when you're playing with 22 and 23 year old men, it can have a big effect in college football, even if they're not all NFL caliber. Yeah, the experience there was huge for for Oklahoma State on defense. And and Jim Knowles was, I mean, listen, his, his system and the way he developed those guys, those same players that were starting this year were either starters or key backups for them the last like three years. They're either juniors, seniors, or super seniors, all upperclassmen, and that's starting 11 for them. And then it's incredible that historic defense for them this year there at Oklahoma State, the best they've had in 30-plus years. They were almost – uh, they were neck and neck with Georgia in a lot of categories, and they were even above yeah. Georgia in some categories statistically yeah. mm -hmm. going into the conference championship weekend and even in the playoff. But uh, you listen, you lose Jim Knowles to, to Ohio State, and you lose a lot of those players just because, you know, a lot of them are deciding to go do things outside of football. Um, it's going to be difficult for that defense to be really anywhere near what it was this past season. And listen, we're not talking about Oklahoma state even being in the big 12 title game without that defense playing as well as it did. They don't beat Oklahoma. Um, they definitely don't without that defense stepping up in the second half of Bedlam. I mean, they, they held them scoreless and did so after I thought in the first half of that game, not to go too far back, but I was like, Oh, maybe this defense is a paper paper mm -hmm. tiger, but they weren't. Um, so I, I think that Oklahoma state is going to fall off this upcoming season. And um, in fact, I, I had to do a way too early top 25. I didn't even include them in my top 25, which upset, obviously upset a lot of Oklahoma state fans, but I don't have a lot of confidence in that offense. It's been, it's been trending down obviously the last four to five years, but these last three years, I keep waiting for something to get it back up to what we're expecting there under Mike Gundy. And I'm just not seeing it. And I don't think it's necessarily going to take a big step forward next season either. And, I, I just don't have him in the top 25 at all. Yeah, another season of the Spencer Sanders experience, too. Yeah. Who, who, listen, he I, I hate to bag on guys. Yeah. You know, because he's a same. good player. Because he's a good player. But he is also, I, I think at this point, he sort of is what he is as a player, which is a good player that will make some mistakes and have some great moments and have some bad moments. Um, but nonetheless, I think that, you know, that probably caps your ability to, you know, achieve at a super high level offensively when you have him run the show. But again, he'll be really experienced and maybe the, some experience on the offense catches up to the defense next year or helps make up for the losses on defense. But they were definitely sort of the, the embodiment of like what it meant to have all these experienced players coming back. I think Michigan is also one of those teams, too, and not necessarily in the fact that they had a ton of super seniors. I think they had a lot of players who probably, if 2020 was a normal season, might not have been back. I think they yeah. probably had some key guys like an Aiden Hutchinson gets hurt in a in a in a, in a abbreviated season. Does he come back if there's a normal Big Ten season? And all you need is two, three, maybe five of those type of guys who decide, yeah, let's run it back one more year. And now they're seniors. They're really experienced. They set the tone in the locker room. Like I, I am, I don't think Michigan is going to, well, and we don't know what Michigan's going to be as far as coach too. And we'll get into that in a second. I don't know what Michigan exactly is going to be next year. I don't think it's replicable to think, oh, Michigan will again be a national title contender next year. Um, I also I also don't see them falling off a cliff. What about you? Yeah, I, I there I think they're a top fifteen team next season. Uh, regardless, I, I think they're going to be talented enough defensively to make up for some of those spots 
they're they're just they're just never going to be in the playoff hunt. I mean, listen, Michigan. What we weren't really talking about Michigan in the playoff hunt till it seemed like you know till they beat Ohio State. And that was it. Um, but to to me, Michigan's going to kind of fall back a little bit, but not to a point where we're going. Oh, this is not even a top twenty five team. I think they've got enough and they've built that program well enough with Jim Harbaugh that they're going to be top fifteen and just I think they're going to hover in there like all season. They're just not going. They're not going to bounce around a lot. I think they're going to be pretty consistent next season. Um, because of the talent they've got there. But th- like you said, the big question for me is, is Harbaugh leading them? Why, why, it's so difficult to sit here in January and look at teams and go, what are they going to look like, heck, even by March or April when they start spring practice because of the transfer portal. And, um, I mean, listen, legitimately, I've been looking at lists of, of teams and what, what, what are they missing? You know, what, what are they missing? And there are teams out there that if they just simply add one quarterback and a and a receiver, it's like that team goes from maybe being the bottom of the top 25 to a top 10 team and just with two players. And there'll be another wave yes. of transfers after spring practice. Maybe not as big as this wave, but they can put those kids can put names into the portal by May. So there will definitely be especially quarterback battles, right? Yep. I mean you know, you, there are going to be places where there was a transfer quarterback coming in, and I wouldn't necessarily be surprised to see a, a, that kid jump back into the portal after after spring maybe doesn't go as well. One quick thing on Harbaugh, and I, I, you know, I, I, I have no doubt that NFL interest um, could sway him. Uh, I have no doubt that there is probably some NFL interest in him. So I would not be shocked if in a couple of weeks – Michigan is looking for a new coach, but I, I, I felt like Michigan may have flashed this a flare as to what could possibly go on there when they hired Mike Elston to be yeah. defensive coordinator and defensive line coach, pulling him away from, excuse me, defensive line coach, pulling him away from Notre Dame. That to me signaled, maybe I'm, I'm over out over my skis here. If Harbaugh does leave, I think they might be going in house and just promoting Josh Gaddis. That, that, that was my feel on that. I don't know if Elston come, makes that move from Notre Dame thinking that they're just going to blow up the coaching staff there. Well, that and, and obviously the pull of coming back to Michigan was huge for him. No and, doubt. And, and, Mike, and Mike's been overlooked um, by, by other jobs in, in the past, including maybe even at Notre Dame. And um, I, I think that he sees an opportunity there that to, to that will help him move up, whether even if it's in-house. And now obviously I'm not talking about being head coach, but doing to something else, mm-hmm. uh, maybe as a coordinator. But um, Harbaugh will be interesting to watch. But, you know, I, I think, you know, listen, unless something huge happens in the NFL, and I don't follow the NFL too closely, I, I'm, I'm interested to see, like, what, financial package Michigan maybe tries to put together for Jim Harbaugh is it's my feeling is it's just me spitballing that they'll just offer him you know like nine or ten million but it's a short-term contract so to speak I I don't know if they give him like a seven-year deal or something like that I think they'll give him a lot of money but be like it's a four-year deal or something what do you think I I could see that and listen it also must be it must be said that when the Harbaugh NFL rumors come out they're in a negotiation. Oh yeah. (laughs) There's no doubt Harbaugh is going to get a bunch of money back that he gave back, that he gave a bunch of money returned to him that returned to him, quote unquote, that he gave back last year when he took the pay cut. And let's not forget. He also is giving back his bonuses. He got this year to the athletic department employees. I could certainly see you. I'd like, I like your theory there about a shorter term deal. It makes a lot of sense because you know, I don't like, I don't, does Harbaugh himself want to be locked in that long? He's just such a different dude. Like you could see him saying like, you know what? That's not really for me Four years, like 10, like nine, 10 years. I don't need that. Um, not, not to mention the fact that, listen, he's, he was living off NFL salary for a long time. So clearly he really doesn't need the money. Yeah. Um, and I also just don't think it's his, it's his, it's his, it's his MO, but there's also no doubt though, that when the guy who finished third gets a 10 year, $95 million contract, the guy who finished fourth in your division behind you gets a 75 plus million dollar 10 year contract or eight years or whatever Franklin got. Um, 
you're going to get a raise. <laughs> and, and here's the other thing. I, college football, everything's competitive. Even salaries are among boosters and fan bases. And though I will say that I do think it might be a little bit different this go around, just because I do think still that there's some boosters and everybody around Michigan going, this was a one-year thing with Harbaugh. Can we sustain this? Is he really worth that? But I think what I think there's been one year out of the last, you know, 22 in this century where Michigan State has had the higher higher paid coach <laughs> compared to Michigan and that was only for one year and then Harbaugh was hired at Michigan. Right. Um so uh I don't think that lasts. I I think Michigan's going to if they keep Harbaugh it's going to be not necessarily because the NFL came and they had to up their – I think no matter what, he's going to get a huge payday. I just think it's going to be a shorter-term contract. Because Michigan – I mean, I think they obviously did – we, we talk about this all day, but they did a great job just going, we're going to – hey, we're going to cut your salary and have to get to stay here and all this and uh, give you bonuses if you if you achieve it or whatever. And they were very creative with that. And Nebraska's kind of followed that blueprint now with Scott Frost. But – I think that they could be creative again and go, hey, we'll pay you $11 million a year, but it's going to be a three-year deal. Yeah, it was a cost-effective year for Michigan. They got a, a lot a lot of bang for their buck this season out of Harbaugh. It also should be noted, like the very bad season Harbaugh had in the pandemic year was the true anomaly. And I think right. last year, to a certain degree, is probably going to be an outlier this past season. I, I, like I just again, like I don't see them as structured necessarily that now they are going to be equal to Ohio State. The recruiting hasn't been there to that level. I do think that Harbaugh has gotten the program so that they can sort of be competitive almost every year. And maybe you get a season where everything comes together. I know that's probably not enough for Michigan fans. So we'll might be back here next year, still having the same old conversations about Harbaugh, but with a playoff um, win or with a playoff appearance and a win over Ohio state, the results of this season mask the constant issue that we've had with Harbaugh, the constant conversation with Harbaugh. Oh, is this good enough? Is this good enough? But again, I, I don't necessarily think that what happened at Michigan this year is, oh, the program took this massive step yeah. for, forward. I think that his program is a good one, and it was able to, pr to produce a special team. I think you, you hit on it that their outlier in 2020 is what led to this outlier. Because to a certain degree, right? if they did not have as bad of a season as they did in 2020, whatever you want to call that season in the Big Ten, I don't think they have they have anywhere close to what they had this year. I don't think they'll beat Ohio State. I don't think all those players would have stuck around um, at Michigan. I think some of them would have left. Heck, some of them may have even transferred. But they all came together. They went through that weird year and terrible year on the field. And they came together, decided to stick together. And that led to 2021. I mean, it was almost like uh, uh, that's what they needed to be able to have a year like this. And so, yeah, I'm with you. I, this is not sustainable, but I do think that this could be a year that that leads into, hey, maybe they can beat Ohio State every three years, which Michigan fans don't want to hear that. But that's kind of the reality they're in right now. Right. So let's talk about Michigan State. They were the fourth of the teams that didn't that finished that started the season unranked, finished it ranked. Amazing season, 11 and 2, finished number anyway, we're 9 in the country. Let me let me quickly look at the poll here on my back screen. Michigan State was number 9 in the country, not that far behind Notre Dame number 8. What surprised me most about Michigan State is I thought I, I thought it was going to be a rough year even though they, they did so much in the portal. And I, I think I was, I don't know if I was in the minority on that. I know some folks had this conversation with Andy, Andy Staples. He was like very high on Michigan state. Cause he's very high on Mel Tucker. And yeah. it's, not I didn't, it's not that I didn't think Mel Tucker could do a good job. I just thought like, man, there's a lot of building to be done there. And can he really flip that thing around that quickly with transfers, like to be that good with, with a transfer based team and Holy cow, he did it. Um, but again, now we talk, we're starting to talk about sustainability. And he just got $95 million for one 11-win season. Really, not even for the 11-win season because they gave him the contract before he got to the end of the season. So basically, it was almost for just beating Michigan and having LSU have interest in you. I, I, am, I just don't know what to expect out of Michigan State going forward. I have a lot of confidence in Mel Tucker to be good, but I have to think there'll be a fall-off because you just can't do this again through the portal and there's some real like fundamental building block kind of building that still needs to be done there. 
Yeah, I think so too. I do think they take a little bit of a step back, but they they will be a program that's going to be, I think, in the top 25 throughout the year because of their schedule. Because, I mean, listen, I the, the heart and soul of that team this past year, well, Kenneth, listen, Kenneth Walker's amazing, but amazing. I don't think he was the heartbeat of that team that got it going. I really do think that it was Jaden Reed and Peyton Thorne and that connection they had and getting those guys together on the same page, working together in the offseason, the stories you heard about them in the offseason. I think that they've got enough coming back to be a factor in the Big Ten, but not, not a team this upcoming year we're going to be saying, hey, that's a playoff dark horse or a Big Ten dark horse. They're going to be solid. But what they need to do is use this upcoming season because I think they will be solid. I think they got to use this upcoming season that you hit on it to hit recruiting to a point to where they're building the program the right, right way, where you're not leaning on transfers every year to supplement your team and even fill some holes there because that's not sustainable. It's not sustainable in any sport. And we're especially seeing that right now, not to switch sports in college basketball. There's some programs that are leaning so hard in the transfer portal to just reload every year that it works two times. Then the third time it's an absolute disaster. Um, Football. I, I think that we might see a team or two get to that point here in the next few years, potentially if they continue to lean on it, but Michigan State this year, they've got enough pieces coming back, especially offensively, even with Walker gone and 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 Jalen Naylor out to the NFL. I think they'll be they'll be fine. They just won't be great. They'll be a top twenty five, top twenty type team this year. I'll, I'll say this: I'll disagree with you a little bit. I watched the Peach Bowl. Kenneth Walker was the thing. <laughs> I, mean, that, I, I yeah. remember texting. I remember texting somebody during during that game that. Uh, Mel Tucker should buy Kenneth Walker's Kenneth Walker house. <laughs> he is, seems highly responsible for that ninety mil, $95 million contract extension. And the, and the yeah. person then, of course, texted me back. He should buy Kenneth Walker's family a subdivision. <laughs> he listen. Walker's phenomenal. I was in person for the Michigan Michigan State game, mm-hmm. and what he did in the second half of that game was incredible. They don't win it without him, obviously. But I do agree with you with say on but, the thorn the thorn reed situation there. I, but I think that there's something special there. Yeah. That 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 really kind of sparks things for them. Um, but I, they'll be fine at running back, by the way. They just added a kid out of the transfer portal. They know what they're doing, the transfer portal. I tweeted this the other day. There are two teams, I think, really in college football that have used the transfer portal expertly and consistently in supplementing not necessarily building a team, but supplementing things. And that's Michigan State and Arkansas of all teams. Because Arkansas, they've been able to hit the transfer portal to find quarterbacks, Felipe Franks, and then, of course, with K.J. Jefferson and building the team around him. And then now they're doing it defensively. They're getting some kids out of LSU and everything. I I like the way Michigan State and Arkansas have utilized the transfer portal over these last two-plus seasons. So Arkansas was another one of those teams that – was unranked to start the season, ended up finishing the season. Number 21, the Razorbacks were to finish the season. So again, another one of these surprise teams. And I got to tell you, so just as you said, Brandon, it is impossible to do, like you actually had to do a, a way too early to look ahead toward the season as these rosters are getting filled out. But my initial take on Arkansas the night after the championship game, when I'm sort of looking ahead to next season was, boy, maybe a little step back here. They're losing some really key pieces on that defense, not to mention their best offensive player in Traylon Burks. And, but then over the last next, next week or so, you're like, Oh, they picked up this guy. Oh, they picked up this guy, Drew Sanders. That's a nice pick. So I, I, it, it, it makes it harder to project this early. But I also find myself thinking, oh, yeah, maybe this is sustainable. Like, I don't know if Arkansas is they're still not built to compete against Alabama or to to swipe a division title against Alabama. We can see the trajectory that Texas A&M is on. But I think they're going to be feisty again next year with the with the ability to beat teams that maybe have a, a more stacked rosters. Yeah, and, and that that's the thing you mentioned the transfer portal. They they got to rebuild their defense through the transfer portal, and I think they've already added five or six kids as we're recording this. They lost seven to the portal, and, and of course Traylon Burks, the amazing wide receiver 
who is going to be a star in the NFL, I think, uh, with the way he's built. They got to replace him too. And they still, you know, they did well in the, in the bowl game against obviously a depleted Penn State program. But you saw that kind of, I want to say championship caliber, but you saw that, uh, that, that, that tenacity that's kind of something inside of KJ Jefferson where he's going to be able to take over some games for them if they need it, whether it's on the ground, creating with broken down plays or even through the air. And so, I think Arkansas is a team that'll probably be hovering around the seven to maybe eight win area next year. I just don't think that they're going to be a program where like for this, this past year where they went to Alabama and it was competitive where they were within a touchdown the entire game. It seemed like, I think that's not going to be possible because I think like you mentioned Alabama and A&M, they're going to take a step forward from where they were this year. I think Alabama is going to be even better, obviously, this year, this yeah, upcoming year. Yes, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, listen, and so I, and I think a and about to take probably two steps forward based off what we saw this past year. They're about to skyrocket. And, um, you know, LSU is not going to go anywhere, even with their talent issues and their rebuilding their roster. I mean, goodness gracious, they've had 11 kids so far. I think the transfer portal, mm-hmm. it's insane. And, uh, but anyway, uh, Arkansas – They've done enough to keep it afloat and be a seven or eight win team next year. And they're recruiting with high school recruiting, by the way, doing very, very well. So that's a team where they're, they're building it the right way. I, I, like I said, I think with Michigan State and Arkansas, they both programs, early coaches, fantastic job using the transfer portal and then translating that on the field and then carrying it over on the high school recruiting trail to build it for the long term. I, I can't wait to see what those teams look like and those programs look like in three years. Yeah, I'm, I'm like not to diverge too much, but I find myself thinking who will be better off in three years, Arkansas or Ole Miss? And my suspicion might be Arkansas, um, but that's to be TBD. Let me, let me shift over to a couple of ACC teams who were big surprise teams and they played for the ACC championship and that's Pitt and Wake Forest. Wake, they were both fun teams, fun teams in that they scored a lot. Um, Wake Forest didn't really stop many, many folks, <laughs> uh, but they did score a lot. Uh, Pitt with Kenny Pickett was an amazing ride. Wake is, again, another one of those teams that like benefited from super seniors, crazy experienced. My goodness, Sam Hartman's coming back again. It seems like he's been there forever. Um, so I think that there's but, – but Wake is also the type of program – there's so much building that needs to be done at Wake. The idea that they could possibly have another 10-win season seems pretty unlikely. Pitt, on the other hand, again, like you start looking at what they get in the transfer, what le- what's leaving, what they get in the transfer portal, Keaton Slovis. Oh, that's an interesting pit, uh, yeah. uh, piece, piece there. So my sense is Pitt's probably better built for next year uh, for what maybe a little bit looks a little bit more like an encore. I, I disagree. Okay. I, I, I for next year at least. Um, I think because Wake Forest does have a lot coming back, and the way they perform near the end of the season, even with that defense, just that's what made them so entertaining was that defense, uh, keeping games so high scoring late in the game. But I, I think that they're built and they've built that thing enough, and they've got so much stability. Obviously, with the coaching staff. I mean, no one's leaving among you know the offensive coordinator there. He doesn't want to be a head coach. He just wants to stay there and be on Dave Clawson's staff. Yeah, Warner Jerio. Yeah, yeah. It, it, the stability helps a lot, especially at programs like that. Uh, I think I think they should they should preseason wise they, people should put them in the top ten. Based off what they did this past year, you're not the only one who's saying that. So I'm, I'm really, I'm in the minority here. I've seen other people have them sort of like top ten ish. Yeah, I've got them number nine in my way, 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 way too early top twenty (laughs) five. Okay, Um, but they they should be a team worthy of consideration the top ten because they got so much coming back and they're holding it together. We'll see what happens after spring ball, as you said, the transfer portal, but. Yes, that defense was bad, but man, that offense is electric, and they're still going to be pretty, pretty experienced. I, I like the way they've built things there. Now, 2023, that will be a fall to earth faster than a. a <laughs> I mean, they're going to fall so hard in 23, but next year, I, I don't think they have the repeat in the record, but they should going into the season have top ten consideration. Okay, there's a handful of. Group of five teams and group of five teams tend to be, we, you know, voters tend to make them earn it, frankly. 
Uh, you don't get as many. You'll always get more group of five teams at the end of the season in the poll than you will at the beginning of the season in the poll. Uh, and frankly, in some of these cases, there, there were some real surprise. Utah State was definitely not expected to be what they were, even within the Mountain West. A little higher expectations for San Diego State, but we've become accustomed to them being a contender in the Mountain West. Louisiana is coming off an amazing run under Billy Napier. Um, he is now the Florida coach, and he is a package deal, taking some of his players with him over there, at least a couple of key offensive linemen. Um so, and BYU is, is another one who maybe I think we all underrated this season a little bit coming in because we, we, we saw how good they were last year with Zach Wilson. Wilson moves on and BYU is really good. So out of the, out of the non-Power 5 teams sort of gazing at like who could be – Houston's another one, had a, had a breakout year under Dana. Um, I don't know how – again, like so who – what is the most sustainable – what among those group of five teams do you think, yeah, next year I'm on that team? I think that, that team could come back next year with a pretty good encore. I think Houston, um, because of their offense and the way they were performing, and I, I think that they, they will be the – to me, they're the top group of five team going into next season. Um, I think they, do they take like not necessarily to the extent of Cincinnati, right? Cincinnati came in top 10, but did they have that perch that Cincinnati has held the last couple of years? I think so. Okay. I think so. They're, they're, they are not going to be in the playoff hunt. That's that that's not happening. I don't think, I mean, who knows? I never say never, but Houston's good. I got them like top 20 right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll, they'll be like a top 20 team throughout the year. Uh, and by the end of the year, potentially, I just don't know if we're going to have a group of five team in 22 where we're going. That's, you know, must see TV on a, you know, mid sure. mid afternoon on a Saturday or even a Thursday night game or something like that. I'm just not sure um, of that. And so, but I think Houston's that team uh, going in, but as you said, there's, there's all, I mean, they're always any level of football, but group of five, there's always a team or two that just skyrockets up and by mid season, we're going, Whoa, look at that. You know, yeah, even more yeah. so in those conferences, there's, yeah. there's much more potential for upward mobility. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, the one team I'll throw out there is um, I might know I have, I have a lot of BYU followers. I'm never, I'm never sure exactly how that happened on Twitter. I have a <laughs> lot of, I, I, I'm sure I said something nice about them once and uh, they they're they're a hive, and they just jumped on me, and like they. So I will say something nice about BYU. If you look at their roster, it's uh-huh. amazing how many like freshmen, sophomore freshmen played significant roles this year. Like I didn't even realize it until I sort of looked at it at the end of the season. Like, wow, this team's going to be pretty good next year because they were pretty good this year, and they got almost everybody except uh, you know Tyson Alger, the yeah. running back, has moved on to the NFL. But almost all of their key components are back next year. I haven't quite d- d- done a deep dive into their schedule. It's always pretty competitive. But BYU could be in its last season outside – the big 12 mm-hmm. um it could be a pretty interesting one i, I think they yeah. could be a team that makes some noise again i don't necessarily think a playoff but but a team that we're following along as they're like knocking off pac 12 teams again maybe 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 it's because i'm younger uh but i don't know why i almost think of byu as a power five program these days to well, me so i would i would like so- i've got them 14 in my way too early rankings Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about Houston because I almost think of BYU as as this team that not to say they're Notre Dame, but they're just I think of them as that power. I think of them as a power five program, and and obviously we will here in the next couple of years when they go to the Big Twelve. But I never really think of them as an outsider. Yeah, you know. So I'll I'll take it the other way. I'm older than you, and that's yeah. the reason why I don't. Because yeah. I remember them winning a national national title, but yeah. I was, you know, fourteen yeah. years old, winning a national championship. So there's always been something about that brand. Though I must admit, like I, I, they were lost in the wilderness there, in sort of a weird spot with being independent for a few years. It was sort of like, well, they're kind of an interesting team, but then they lose one game, and they're really not that interesting anymore. And they play these interesting schedules, but. So I, I do think that I, I'm, I'm glad that they will be in the Big 12. I think they should be able to compete in the Big 12. If you were talking long term or a more broader discussion, I do think it'll be very interesting to see what the transition is like into the Big 12. Because just because you're good 
doesn't and you beat a bunch of Pac-12 teams this year, as we've seen with West Virginia and TCU and some of these other schools that have made Utah made that move up. There's about a year's worth or maybe two of some growing pains there when all of a sudden, like you're recruiting a little different level of athlete. And that shows up when you start playing eight big 10 team, big 12 teams, as opposed to a few, you know, pac 12 teams. Yeah. That's why like, uh, not to divert again, but like, that's why I honestly think before Brent Vittables got hired at OU, I thought Texas is more uh, well-built to be able to transition to the SEC than, say, OU because of the way they've been able to recruit in the trenches and everything. But, <laughs> but, now, but now with Vittables there, the defensive right. mindset and everything, I'm thinking, well, now that we might not see those teams join until, you know, 25, you know, whatever, OU might actually be that program. But, like, it's 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 it is interesting to see those transitions. I mean, goodness, Texas A and M and Mizzou had success right away when they joined the SEC a, a, almost a decade ago. It's incredible um, how that happened. But it was interesting. But but at least with those in that situation, I think it was that they were Power Five going to Power Five or BCS going to BCS. Even though it was a step up, it was BCS. I think it, it was those schools that were sort of Mountain West, Big East. Yeah that made the transitions yeah. that you saw. Like, and listen, I've talked to guys at Utah about it, uh, Kyle Whittingham, and they had a little bit of a rough stretch the first couple of years. And they said, it's as simple as that. Like, we are just, we had to, Our it's not that our rosters weren't good, but it needed to be better. And it took a couple of years before we started being able to say, hey, come play for a Pac-12 school. Right. So that'll, be, right. so, so that'll be the difference. And that's, that's going to happen, I think, at Houston and UCF and yes. Cincinnati, too. Now, I, I do think those schools are better built to compete with the schools they're joining, right? There are no monster schools left over that, you know, that you're going to be recruiting at a, recruit at a weight high level when you're dealing with Iowa State and Kansas State and Oklahoma State. And that's not to knock those schools. So the, maybe the gap will be a little a little smaller. However, I do think there'll be a transition. All right. Before I let you go, Brandon, and you've been great on your first time here on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast, you have definitely earned another uh, another round. You will be worked into the rotation. Let's put it that way. All so right. The, the only problem is when you do well, that means I'm going to bother you. <laughs> like, you know, once every couple of months or so. Hey, man, can you come on? So you've, you've earned that. And so be prepared to be bothered with text messages. One last thing we wanted to do here today is a little accountability. And you don't necessarily, we don't necessarily have to run through because guys like us, we, we are sort of contractually bound to make a zillion predictions before yeah. the season starts. And we don't have to go through all zillion of, of, of our predictions. But give me one or two where, I can pat, where you can pat yourself on the back and one or two where you say, wow, I was really, really wrong on that team player situation. Let's get the worst out of the way. Okay. All right. So I bad news first. <laughs> I said DJ Uwe Angolale was going to win the Heisman. <laughs> okay. You and me both, baby. <laughs> Ooh, oh, really? Thank God. There's another one. There's another one. I can't believe I, I made that prediction. And and I listen, I should have listened to some of my colleagues, especially at 24-7 sports. They they break down film and all these guys and high school and everything. And they're like you listen, his release, the way he throws the ball, that he's not going to have consistent success. I'm just telling you. I'm like, oh, I, 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 I trust my own eyes. Because he played so well, the two games he played. Like, <laughs> right? like that's how I was thinking the same thing. Kid throws I, I, yards. I ignored he was th- he was throwing knuckleballs on every every pitch uh, instead and of doing some variety. To, you know, to bail him out exactly. So yeah, that was that was by far my worst. I thought, hey, DJ, he's going to run away with it. That schedule sets up so well for him. That last month is all going to be about the Uyangalale train to New York City, and boy, was I wrong. All right. So now again, we we get we got to jump on you for being wrong. Give me a give me one where you got right. Well, this one just seems so easy in hindsight. But back in May, I wrote a column, and I'm sure a lot of other people did too. Like this is Georgia's year to win it. Yeah. If they don't win it this year, they're not going to win it in the next two years. Based on the way the roster has been built, the talent that was coming back, uh, Bama was still going to be good, but it, it proved out. And listen, this was maybe the worst or second worst Alabama team to reach the play, the reach the national championship under Nick Saban, which isn't a huge knock against them because they've had amazing teams and arguably right. maybe the the second or third best 
uh, college team in history back in 2020. But if Jordan, the best team under Kirby Smart, maybe the best team he'll ever have at Georgia, but we'll see. If that team cannot beat this field that we had this past year, he may never win it. So I just said, listen, Georgia's not only should they expect to win it, they will win it this year, and they should win it. And that was with when I thought JT Daniels was going to be the starter throughout. That obviously didn't happen at quarterback. See, you and, and me, again, you and me both. Like, I, I picked Georgia, but all my write-up was like, hey, on the back of JT Daniels. So, exactly. you know, you can be right while still being wrong. You know? Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right and about being wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah, because, like, back in 2020 even, I was saying, listen, they got to stick with JT Daniels or they're not going to win the national title next year. <laughs> um, and then, boy, they proved that wrong. I mean, Stetson Bennett, I wrote it after that playoff game you know, against Michigan, but he hit those downfield throws against Michigan that he did not make against Alabama in the SEC championship game. He missed three downfield throws, in, from my eyes, against Alabama that could have changed that game in the SEC championship game. Hit him against Michigan, and then against Alabama, he did it again in the, uh, in the national championship game. And that was the difference. That's what Georgia was missing, was that downfield threat, consistent threat at quarterback. And I didn't think Bennett was the guy and he ended up being that guy and um, proved to prove to be true. Yeah. I, I still think George is going to be, again, we'll see what happens with the transfer portal. And, and I, I still think George is going to be a threat, but I do think yeah. right, next year, there's probably going to be a little bit of a recalibration yes. at Georgia. Um, but I, I wasn't so down on the idea that, Oh, Kirby better win it now. They've been recruiting at such a high level. I got a, I got a f- funny feeling that this Georgia-Alabama thing is going to be – they're going to be well, a lot over the next few Maybe, years. but they got competition on the block. A&M is about to skyrocket. I've got – again, way, way too early, but i got Bama 1, Ohio State 2, Georgia 3, A&M 4. Yeah. In my way, I got, I got, I think AM is going to make a huge breakthrough in 2022. It's got to be coming, right? I mean, at some point, it's yeah. going to be either next year or the year after when that, when this, you know, amazing freshman class sort of blossoms a little more. The AM breakthrough is, is almost certainly coming. It's just a matter yeah. of what level. Yeah. And not to extend the conversation more, but does that actually help Georgia? Because now AM could beat up on Alabama maybe once every two or three years and maybe not necessarily make it easier for Georgia in the SEC championship game, but provide some variety there that maybe they have some better matchups. I, I don't know, but I think AM is about to change, not necessarily the dynamic, but change what we how we see the SEC West race when it gets to early November. It's going to be a little bit different from what we're accustomed to seeing. Well, and it's also amazing how quickly these things can change, right? Because in a couple of years, maybe Billy Billy Napier is doing the same thing yes. in Florida, and all of a sudden, Georgia has a legitimate challenger, even though Florida did win the division just, just a year or so ago. <laughs> uh, but a real challenger that could be there almost every year. Uh, so just to give you my worst, I'll give you my worst yes. worst prediction. Because I had Georgia and I had a couple of other pretty good ones. I was uh, So I, I was, again, you can be right and wrong. So I, I kind of had a feeling that somebody might get Ohio State this year in the Big Ten. So I didn't pick Ohio State to win the Big Ten or make the playoff. Unfortunately, though, I picked Wisconsin to do those things. Oh, come on. Are you still a Graham Mertz guy? Well, not anymore. But I mean, but my instinct, I like to think my instinct was right. Like Ohio State might be vulnerable this year. So I was right on, on one part of that instinct, yeah. but it just all collapsed on the other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and hey, hey, listen, that running back man. Oh, Braylon Allen is one of my all-time. Like I, that kid's already like one of my maybe my favorite player in the country. I can't wait to watch. He's going to explode next year. I mean, he's already putting up numbers, but people are going to start putting him on you know ballots, and they're going to give him airtime. Yeah, that kid's fun to watch. Yeah, he is. Uh, he got a little bit of Derrick Henry in him. That kid. Yes, <laughs> Brandon Marcello the great college football national reporter for 24 seven sports. Brandon, man, thanks for making this first appearance on the AP top 25 podcast memorable and excellent. You brought great knowledge. And again, you are now in the rotation, my friend. Thanks a lot. Thanks Ralph. Appreciate you, man. And now three and out first down, you might've missed it because it happened at midnight on a Friday. But Hawaii coach Todd Graham resigned after more than a dozen players and parents of some players complained about how he was running the team. 
there was so much backlash. It wasn't just complaints. There was so much backlash against Graham and his treatment of players that it led to a hearing in front of state lawmakers in Hawaii. It was kind of a weird hire when it was made two years ago. Graham has been a pretty successful head coach, even if his departures have been abrupt and at times contentious. But you could see a path to it working if he really embraced all that makes Hawaii and that program unique and challenging. For all the hurdles Hawaii has to clear, it's a program that has proven it can be competitive in the Mountain West. That clearly wasn't going to be the case with Graham. Not that the teams were awful. Graham went 11 and 11, but it became increasingly apparent that building a roster and recruiting within Hawaii was going to be an uphill climb, and there is no coming back from that. Hawaii will almost certainly bring in a coach. Who knows? Maybe by the time you hear this, they will have a new coach who has ties to the program this time around to settle the waters and rebuild trust, not just in the fan base but with the recruiting base as well. As for Graham, that guy's a lifer, and I wouldn't be the least bit shocked if you find him as the head coach of an FCS program in the not-too-distant future. Second down, one of the most interesting quarterback competitions of this offseason will take place in Nebraska. The Huskers dipped into the transfer portal twice for quarterbacks, getting commitments from Casey Thompson from Texas and Chubba Purdy, from Florida State. Thompson was the primary starter for Texas last season, much like his team. There was some good and some bad from Thompson in 2021. Purdy hasn't played much at all since he arrived in Tallahassee because of injuries, but he was considered a big get from Arizona when Mike Norvell first took the job at Florida State. Should be a fascinating competition, not only to see who wins the job, but then what happens to the player who doesn't. Is it back into the portal? Third down. So right after Brandon and I finished our conversation that included a lot of praise about Arkansas and the job Sam Pittman has done there, my pal Brett McMurphy tweeted that Kendall Bryles has an offer on the table from Miami to become Mario Cristobal's offensive coordinator. I know the fact that Art Bryles' son keeps getting prominent jobs doesn't sit well with some folks who remember very well how badly things ended at Baylor for his father. With that aside, Kendall has done a good job as an offensive coordinator at several spots. It'd be interesting to see where Sam Pittman turns if indeed Bryles makes the move to South Florida. That is the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, John Radcliffe, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just about any bit where you like to get your pods. Please follow so you do not miss an episode. If you have questions that you'd like me or my guests to answer or just comments, email them to aptop25mailbag at gmail.com, aptop25mailbag at gmail.com. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.